ダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンAnd uh, Narcos uh, is the wonderful game about one person being Pablo Escobar, four other filthy hunters, <laughs> in our case being played by three of you, not being Pablo, mm -hmm. trying to hunt down the much maligned <laughs> and incorrectly... No, I mean, Pablo's a scumbag, so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what'd you think of Narcos? Like, first, it, it, was, it was all of our first game. Mm -hmm. So, one thing that I've been wanting to play more is more asymmetrical sort of games. Um, that's one thing that I found that I haven't gotten a lot of experience myself with. So, it was nice playing this. Um, and um, one of the things that was kind of nice was it really was cooperative on the, the four players rather than... I mean, some games the hunters, that, or yeah. The, yeah, the the four hunters, because um, some of the the games where it's kind of asymmetrical is really you're kind of sure you're working towards one goal, but you're not really, I guess, uh, doing sort of a shared activation. I guess is is the way that I describe it. At least that's how we ended up playing. Was it really felt like we were, um, yeah, we're a team for the most part. So, but um, I guess to given broad over, well, you were a team, but there wasn't. Wasn't I mean, there was only one point where you guys kind of. Alpha gamed Lamont, <laughs> but but by the yeah. same token, there was a point where you were all talking. Lamont's like, "Okay, so I'm going to go." So I'm because yeah. I got up to get a drink. And I turned around, and was like, "Whoa, okay, Ooh. yeah." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyways, thought thought it was an interesting game. So yeah, I I had fun. So you know, it's uh, we'll we'll do a review in the future. But basically, Pablo Escobar is trying to hide. Uh, you got to catch them twice. The hunters have a bunch of different abilities and uh, play cooperatively, but like they all do something different. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I had fun. I thought it was a fun game. I um, I was less frustrated at that than I was at the game we're gonna review. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I was a part um, of that. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I I don't know. I just it was very frustrating. Yeah, Josh is winning too much. He doesn't listen to podcasts. So I can say that. <laughs> Find games where he doesn't win as much. Now, actually, the fact that he won isn't even really what frustrated me. Um, so we played Black Rose War. We played Black Rose War a couple of times. Mm -hmm. So um, that's what we're going to jump in and review. So let's jump right in. Uh, I'm just really killing a whole lot of time so that I can open up the geek and... Uh, Pull up the game. Uh-huh. So Black Rose Wars is put out by Ludus Magnus Studios. I am semi-amused because I don't know... I, I really like this studio. I have two of their games so far. I did not pick up their their sci-fi game, which is the only one I have. Uh, and I haven't picked up... So I've picked up 50% of their games. Okay. Um, they're an Italian studio, and almost nobody I know knows them. But... When I looked at how many backers are on the Kickstarters, I mean, these weren't through the roof 
Cool Mini are not Kickstarters, but they definitely had like a enough people. They had a, they had a decent amount of people uh-huh. backing the Kickstarter. So, so Black Rose War is is based in the world of Nova Atis. Nova Atis is a Renaissance fantasy, right? So Renaissance era Italian fantasy. It, it takes place in Italy, and um, the black in in that time period, basically, what it, from the fantasy aspect, they've said, what if there were certain creatures, satyrs, uh, fawns, centaurs? What if they were, you know, mini, uh, uh, not minotaurs, um, minotaurs? But uh, you know, what if all those kind of historically fantasy creatures existed and were in the world, and then? On top of that, magic existed. And then Black Rose Wars is the Grand Lodge of Wizards in the Nova Atis world. And the collector in the Grand Lodge of all the forbidden, forgotten magic. It's the school of magic is actually called Forgotten Spells. Uh, and when you cast them, they actually become forgotten. They, they go out of the game. Um, is a rose a literal carved rose which is an intelligent artifact and uh so it says about 90 minutes one to four players um overall ratings an 8.5 on board game geek which is pretty damn good i mean just for people that that may not know an eight is a rating of very good enjoyed playing and would suggest it a nine is excellent, very much enjoy playing. Mm. So it falls right in between those two, which I think is pretty good. Um, you know, it's got it's got a lot, uh, eh, not a ton, 465 ratings. So this is sort of what I mean, right? Mm-hmm. It's got a decent amount of ratings, but it's not one of those games that has like 10,000 people rating it. Um, and the complexity, 3.37 out of 5, which means it's a middleweight game. What do you think about that? Um, so I think I, I pretty much agree with with all of that. The mechanics you're doing are not necessarily, you know, super complex, but the the strategy behind it certainly is. Um, and the I don't know eh. playing with Lamont makes it seem like some of the <laughs> some of the mechanics are complex. Yeah. So well, I, I think it's more of just the yeah, but um, I, I'd say it's it's firmly in. To, in, in my opinion, it's firmly in the uh, the kind of uh, mid complexity sort yeah, of games. Yeah, middle complexity. Yeah, um, I I really like the game. I really like the world. Uh, it is a game with models. You set up a board, and um, wh- why don't you kind of walk through the basics? Okay, so uh, it's interesting. What you do is everybody plays as a specific mage, and every mage has their own school of magic. That's one of the interesting parts of the game: is that there's many different schools of magic, and the way that uh, these the different schools of magic work is there's different decks in the game of different right. uh, spells. And the cool thing is, you're a mage, and well, sure, you are specialized in one part of magic, but through the mechanics of the game, you can eventually learn and use all the different spells of our schools of magic that are, are available in that specific game. Now, the key in the specialization, here's one of the things that we do a little, that we've done one specific way. Every mage has their own signature spell, which belongs to a certain school. 
And nobody else can cast their signature spell, even though they get three copies of their signature spell, right? Every spell is a card. Mm -hmm. And we'll get to the mechanics of the card in a minute, but every spell is a card. And then you take one for your initial grimoire, your collection of spells, your deck, and then the other two go into the library deck and have to be dug out and drawn later. Um, I haven't mentioned this. I don't know if you know or not. It is not required... That you pick as your school, the oh. same school as your signature spell. All right. I didn't know that. So that's... Well, that's... I don't like the idea that, mm-hmm. for example, you, the necromancer, get your necromantic signature spells and then is like, and my school of choice, which nobody else will pick, is destruction. Uh-huh. The fireball guy. Like, I, <laughs> so I, that's one of the reasons I haven't really said it. And I would actually lobby against that. I think it's very thematic that you take the school that's like, you're taking those wizards for a reason. Yeah. Right. And I feel like it's a little bit of min maxing. If you're taking a signature spell plus a different school to pick from in the beginning. Yeah. So personally, um, I, even knowing now that that's an option, I think still personally, I would still go with the preferred mage just because of the, the additional sort of flavor. And also, well, I mean, the signature spells synergize really well with, they do with, uh, the schools of magic they're associated with anyways. So, so you end up with seven or eight. I think it's it. I think it's six spells from your school of magic and your one signature spell. Yeah, so so I was going to get to that, but I'm trying to think. So everybody, every mage, so one to four players, every mage is going to have a school of magic. So that puts four decks into play. And then I can't remember if we added, th- is, is it three more plus the, or was it four more plus, the, I think it's three more. So it's, we had, if I remember correctly, we had six decks in total. So I think it was the two extra beyond that. Two, oh, and then the Forgotten. Yeah, and then the Forgotten, so if two I remember more. correctly. Okay, yeah, so that makes sense. So you get you get eight schools of magic, uh, four, five, six. You get six schools of magic out there. You get forgetting, uh, Forgotten spells, which can only be gotten, or forbidden, which can only be gotten a certain way, and they're very powerful. Um the game starts again with every school of magic has two choices. So you're going to two different types of wizard coming out of that school, which you could be one or the other. And that has a prescribed deck that you're going to build from the beginning. Then you return all the decks to the library. You set up the board, which is the lodge. And the idea here is you are all pinnacle mages of your school you've been drawn to the lodge because the last grandmaster has died and the black rose this intelligent and i keep coming back to this this intelligent artifact has drawn you all here to figure out who will be the next grandmaster mm-hmm. and you're all locked in <laughs> <laughs> and Told basically to go to town. Four mages enter, one, <laughs> one mage, mage leaves. <laughs> like literally, it's it's go beat each other up. Nobody mm-hmm. can die. When you die, you get sent back to your study and slapped on the bottom. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so now you set up a. a it makes it there's a black rose room that goes in the middle. You set up these hex tiles that create the lodge. So it's it's randomized each time. Every hex tile. Is has an ability on it, so you can go in and activate these rooms to do things. What are some of the abilities that? Uh... 
So there, a lot of the abilities are nice and varied. You have some that summon creatures that you can fight for you. Yeah. You have some that can um, give you points, heal you, put um, out corruption tokens, pretty much. Draw any, extra cards. Draw from extra deck. cards. If, there, if there's a system in the game, one of the rooms interacts with that system. Sure. I can tell you yeah. that much. So, in fact, the only one is the, the, the doing corruption in the room. There's no room to do more. Uh, the garden. Oh, you're right. <laughs> that oh, room went right. away at the beginning of the game, <laughs> so that's why you can't remember it. <laughs> you're right. Um, so here's one of the things I find very interesting about Black Rose War. So after you get your lodge set up, you get all your people out, you get your decks, you get you ready to go. You, everybody then gets, like, there's three other board types that go out on the table. Every player gets their own player board, and that tracks your health, tracks your trophies, because we got to keep trophies. Uh-huh. So you, every time you blow up somebody, you rip their head <laughs> off, and um, it keeps when you blow up a room. One of the things you can do is you'll be destroying rooms in the lodge. You get points, uh, a little trophy, if you will, a little room activation token, and that's one, one board. Right, and each of the players has that board, the player board, and then of course it tracks your discards and quests and stuff like that. The quests are issued by the intelligent Black Rose, mm-hmm. so every time the quests come out, they'll you know it's different things that Black Rose wants you to do for it, and quests could be a whole bunch of different things. Um, cast uh, one of mine was in the same round, cast four spells, one from each, uh, one from a different school, mm-hmm. right. Do seven damage to another mage. Uh, take no damage in a take turn. Take no damage. Uh, stay in the same room that you started at in the turn. There's a whole yeah. bunch of different... Uh, like, it really varied on the oh, quests. Yeah, yeah. And the quests get drawn multiple times, so you can get multiple different ones through the game. Because as you complete one, then you can go on to get more. There's actually some schools of magic that focus on the quests mm-hmm. and manipulating the quests. Um, there's three phases of the moon. So that's on two... There's these two other boards... One of the board tracks quests. The other board tracks what's called the Black Rose Phase. Now, on the quest board, in addition to everything else, that tracks your points. Mm-hmm. So in our game, we had four of us playing. We had Lamont, we had Josh, we had Benjamin, you and I. We each had our, our four tracking tokens out there. Mm-hmm. And then, wait a minute, there was a fifth token. Ah. Because that intelligent Black Rose actually gets points during the game. Yes, I said that, folks. Just try to take that concept in. You can lose this game to the game. <laughs> and it, it was a close one. <laughs> Almost this time. Right? It is a competitive game that you can lose to the game. Mm-hmm. Like, not just to everybody else at the table. And the Black Rose is actually what triggered... Like, the game itself triggered the end game. Mm-hmm. So, so every turn, the Black Rose doesn't affect. And most of the Black Rose effects, I would say 90% of the ones we've seen are a big old middle finger to the players. <laughs> yeah, or, or somebody <laughs> kind of gets a little bit better end of the deal. But, yeah, a lot of it, the, the effects that pop up really change the game where, sure, at the start of your turn, you're like, oh, I see this line that I'm going to do. And then suddenly Black Rose does this thing, and you're like, whoop. What's plan B? <laughs> everybody come to the center room. Now everybody go back to your rooms. <laughs> right? um, 
you know, everybody that has spells in hand, take damage. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, it's it can be a little, I, I won't say unforgiving, but a little tough. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, so the Black Rose flips a card. There's a track that that card has an effect for a certain amount of time. The Black Rose gets points when one of the cards comes into play, and then when it leaves play. Mm-hmm. So they can go up on points very quick. Like in this game, I think the Black Rose is at like five or six points before any of us got off zero. Oh, yeah. Right? It, so, was, it was going real quick out of the gate. Yeah. And can trigger the game phases. So if you think about there's these moon phases, there's there's a there's a partial moon, a half moon, and a full moon. And those are sort of early game, mid game, late game. And the Black Rose can actually push you into the next... Like, the game can push itself into the next phase of the game. So, which is... Uh, and then, of course, the the cards for the Black Rose get particularly uglier the later in the game it is. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, so it's... Um... It uh, certainly, so one of the things that was interesting was I uh, played this game multiple times. The first yep. game that I played, you know, Black Rose was kind of kind of on the slower end of things, you know, and Black Rose didn't really do much, you know, well, still mess with the players and all that, but points-wise, never really felt threatened by the Black Rose. This game, it was like end of turn two, he was already like halfway up the board and all these yep. bad effects were triggering. <laughs> it was getting crazy. We were convinced for most of the game that we were going to lose to the game. It felt to like we Rose. were playing catch-up the whole yeah. game. And then Josh, what, he beat the Black Rose by... Did the Black Rose finish the top row? Uh, so, Black Rose scored one more point than me, uh, and then Josh okay. um, scored, I think, like ten, ten more, more points, points. Yeah. Than me. And Josh, like, was going to town. Who? yeah. That was, you know, he was blowing up rooms. My but rooms. It, but it was interesting because me and Josh were the two... If, Discounting the, <laughs> the Black Rose, me and Josh were the two high-scoring players, and we approached yeah. the game very, very differently of how yeah. we got those points. So when we look at the different schools of magic off the base game, now what we're talking about here, this was a Kickstarter. This is the base first wave shipping. So base game, uh, we played with one expansion today. Uh, actually, technically two. We yeah. played with an expansion that lets you add... Two more players, so you technically can go to five or six players. Uh, but we added those wizards in. Mm-hmm. And we played with an expansion that adds another wizard in, but we didn't play with the full expansion. Um, so the expansions that we played with, we played with um, the five to six player adds a illusionist, Marco, and Cassandra, who's a conspiracy mage. As the So the schools of magic are kind of interesting, right? So there's your typicals. Destruction. Mm-hmm. Necromancy, right? Illusion. Divination. Divination. And then there's conspiracy. Oh, right? Conspiracy. I love that school of magic. Um, I'm trying to think of some. Oh, um, myth. Yeah, got This is what we played with tonight. Uh, and then uh, what, what? Transmutation. Transmutation is the, is the one I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so like there's, there's some kind of cool different takes on magic in this. Um, so we played with that. We played with Marco the Illusionist. And we played with Medusa, who comes from the Chrono expansion. We'll get to the Chrono expansion as a whole. There's basically two parts of the Chrono expansion that can be used. One is when you actually put Chrono in, and the other one is just using Medusa as an extra mage. So and that, and all we did was use Medusa as an extra mage. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, we have a lodge. We have our our wizards out on the board. We uh, we've set up all these cards and stuff. General gameplay, high level. You know, how does how does that work? So the high level of the game is pretty much you're moving across the board. You have quests you can do to get points. You have rooms you can activate to to kind of score for points. And also you can kill other players. So basically those are kind of the the three real avenues that you're going across. There's another avenue that we haven't talked about yet. But for the most part, it's killing people, you're activating rooms, and you're completing quests for the most part. Now... Another interesting thing that you can do to score points and another way you can tackle the game is there's one part about magic is that magic is a very unstable thing in the universe. Yeah. And uh, it has effects on the rooms around you. So there's this mechanic called instability in the game. Um, and it's actually the way that Josh won. Um, so Twice. Twice. <laughs> Last two games. He's won the same way. <laughs> but it, it's a pretty darn good strategy. But the way that it works is as you cast spells, there's ways to put instability on rooms now. And some rooms will just, or some spells will just naturally be so powerful, they rip apart some of the fabric of reality and make the room a little unstable. Mm-hmm. And every room has a certain number of instability slots before the room's destroyed. Right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you get a um, certain number of rooms that are all, you get points, so that's part of where the trophies we were talking about earlier, you can take trophies of rooms you destroyed. One interesting aspect of it is it's destroyed, yeah. so you can no longer use the special effects that you get for activating the room, uh, which can really throw off other players, um, and, well, besides destroying rooms and activating rooms with instability, well, there's there's other players on the board, you can destroy other players and take trophies, which is kind of the avenue that I had had taken so (laughs) and uh, so yeah so so i went with an avenue of i I had read that medusa was very strong at combat and or the second build was destroying rooms so i tried to go for a, a room destruction sort of strategy and i went very heavy well over two-thirds of my ultimate deck at the end was myth cards. So I went very heavy into myth. Josh also went with room distraction <laughs> again. Yep. And and this was one of the things that frustrated me is in this case, I wasn't able to actually close out destroying rooms and the timing wasn't ever quite right where I would do a bunch of damage to a room and then he would convert that damage. And I'm going to get to conversion in a minute. He would convert it over to his damage and then get the credit for destroying the room. So I would do a bunch of work, and then he would take the credit. Yeah, so one important thing to note that we didn't go over is rooms can take a certain amount of instability, and whoever has caused the most instability in the room is the one who gets the points. So you want to be very careful, because if you ever have a tie in a room, nobody gets the points. Well, not really nobody. <laughs> the Black Rose gets the points. No, nope, that come into play. <laughs> and uh, that's why I came in second to Black Rose. Right. <laughs> so, so I mean, there is a lot of things like that. Like, the Black Rose can do damage to you, the game itself. And the Black Rose will take... I, the Black Rose can get credit for killing somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Black Rose... Like, so there's a bunch of things like that where the Black Rose in the game will actually be actively competing with all of you for the things you're trying to do. Um, conversion. 
I want to talk a little about conversion. <laughs> because I think this is a really cool mechanic that's built into some of the schools of magic in this game. Right? A lot of games that I've played have the concept of damage and then the concept of healing. Right? I do something to you and do damage. I do something to the terrain and do damage. Or I heal and remove damage. Right? And it's binary. Mm-hmm. Um, this has this conversion idea, and it's actually woven pretty heavily. I mean, we did a lot of it tonight. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where you actually turn somebody else's damage into you getting credit for it. Mm-hmm. So it's not even so much like the Necromancer has some spells where um, do two damage to or uh, do you know what was it heal heal yourself and convert somebody else? Yeah. Or? So a lot of the what the Necromancer does is not necessarily high damage, but high conversion is the thing. Right. They have this whole shtick of you deal damage and you convert some. So sure, you're not like Mister I destroy the world, but you're just looking to get the credit for doing the most damage. And it's mostly conversion on players, mm-hmm. on player damage. Josh with Destruction had a couple of cards, and in Myth I had a bunch, uh, a couple of cards, not a bunch, where we were converting the instability damage in a room and sort of flipping it one way or the other or changing it over to to our own credit. Mm-hmm. Right, so this whole conversion thing is kind of interesting because that's where I say, like in this case, I would do a bunch of work, and then Josh would be like, "I do the little bit left to finish it and do just enough conversion to get credit." Yeah, and then one of the interesting things is when a room is full of instability, it isn't destroyed immediately necessarily. Destroyed at the end of the turn. So that is one thing where somebody can go, "Hey, Bill, I'm glad you're doing all this work into this room yeah. at the last possible moment. Hey, going to convert this all to mine, and I win the room." So yep. it's a very interesting way to interact with your opponent's strategy. Yeah, and and you know, I, there's just some really cool bits about that conversion again across the board, even when you go to player damage. You were doing a lot of that where it was do do a little bit of damage, convert a little bit, and for everything you can't convert, get victory points. Mm-hmm. Or for everything you can convert, you know, a bunch of stuff like that. Yeah, so I had stuff that was um, high conversion, but I got the compensation of if I can't convert, hey, this player loses points for every single one right. I can't convert, or hey, I get these extra victory points. All sorts of neat interactions with conversion that I had for health damage. Now... Middleweight game. This isn't a pick on Lamont, but there's clearly areas... Lamont was getting very confused about what cards to have in hand, what cards to have in the decks, what cards... Like, so clearly there is a level here where people... Like, Mm -hmm. there were certain points where you and I and Josh were starting to rush ahead at different points individually, and somebody would go, wait, wait, back up. Right, it's it's one of those things where I think it was just a couple of us playing, or if everybody was everybody at the table was sort of getting it, we would have been able to jump ahead through a couple of phases really quick. Where instead we had to slow down and go very deliberately step by step because we kept getting off track. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure where, like I don't know if you caught it. I I couldn't figure out where Lamont was getting confused, and I kind of wish we had kept him here to to ask. But like I wasn't sure where things were getting complex for him. So, from what I noticed, it was 
there is multiple zones that your cards can exist in, and there is fate or there's parts when a card moves from one area to the next. For me, what I was noticing with Lamont was that he was having trouble there of uh. him going. Hey, is this supposed to be my hand right now? No. Is this supposed to be my discard right now? I don't know. Yeah, is it in my oh, deck, how does... my discard on my board, in my hand? Oh, I, I have a shield. How does that work? Um, you know, it was it was the card interaction, not necessarily uh, more of, yeah, like the kind of upkeep and the usage of what to do with the physical cards, I guess, yeah. is, is, is the way that I noticed it most, where um, where he was getting stumbled So that up. might be something to watch for when you're playing with, with different groups, is there is card management in this game. I mean, you and that's a good point, right? You have quests that sit on one side of your board. You have your deck, which you're drawing cards out of. You... Like when you, I mean, I'm going to walk through the steps here, but I think you can hear where things get a little confusing. So I have my hand of cards, which is whatever cards I didn't cast last turn. So I set that down. Let's say there's three cards in that. Then I'm going to draw two cards out of my deck to put into my hand. Then I'm going to draw four cards from one of the six decks in some combination. So it could be two from one and one from another and one from another. Or it could be four from one, or it could be three from one and one from another, or it could be one, 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 one. But I'm going to draw those, but I'm going to keep those separate from my hand, which I already built. And then I'm going to discard two of those four and put the other two into my hand. But then I also have this discard over here. And then I got to wait because then I'm going to start laying cards from my hand out onto the board. Like, so I, there's definitely. You want to step through that in order if you have people that can get easily lost because you really are. You're dealing with, like Benjamin said, different play areas, potentially four different places, repositories for cards, right? Multiple different decks of cards. Yeah, so what I'm I'm just realizing now is, is really the confusion was when we... Uh, when me, Bill, and Josh were all super comfortable of, you know, we would kind of do multiple things at once yeah. rather than the the easy way to understand is we do this, everybody's done with that, okay. Let's move on to this step, right. everybody's done with that, okay. So well, that was, and let's say I'm first player, right? You would you knew, you would go, I'm just going to throw two, like going through those steps, right? I'm just going to take the first two. I don't need to talk about that. They go into my hand. I just set my hand over here to the side. Okay, now, oh, did I have to reshuffle? Okay, I reshuffled on my own. And then I'm going to discard this. I don't have to wait for anybody to discard this. Oh, okay. Bill, did you did you draw your cards yet? Yeah? Lamont, you drew yours? Okay, cool. Just give me this. Mm-hmm. Right? It was very, again, for us, sort of things flowed and fit into a flow where we knew the stop points, right? Yeah, yeah. And I so. think Lamont was just getting muddled in the fact that it just seemed like, it just all muddled to one, I guess, where it's like, oh, wait, I had to wait to do this before I can do this? What? What? You know? Right. That sort of thing. So. Well, and that was one of the things I did. Like, I, I kept trying to say to him, it was kind of funny. He would lay out four cards on his thing, and I'd be like, okay, you need to go back. Those cards aren't out yet. So even though I know other people have put theirs out, did you count up your hand size? Because you have a hand size you have to worry about. Uh, okay, go back. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, and have you drawn cards yet? Because right. you might want to play those cards instead of the ones that are in your right. hands. So, yeah. Um, so I think that goes into it. Uh, tracking damage, I think, is pretty simple. There's cubes. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of the little rose pins that go into the uh, the summoned creatures? Uh, they're neat. They're very finicky to put they on the models, but they are neat. I, I like the look of them. I like the flavor of them. I really like them because one. Nothing's painted right now, but if I do end up painting things, I think that they'll help out a lot as well, mm-hmm. right? Because so what you end up with is you get these little, 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 little <laughs> tiny roses mm. that go into the base, one, two, or three of them into the base of the creatures you summon. Um, so therein lies the other thing. Not only do you have spells, but some of your spells will summon stuff. Um, traditionally, in just the base game, without the myth expansion. Your summons are going to be creatures that come out on the board, stand around, twiddle their thumbs, and then at the end of the turn, when everybody's done casting, run around the board and beat each and beat people up, mm-hmm. um, or do other things. Yeah. Um, we had equipment this time, where you summon the equipment, got to equip it. It still acted like I mean, it's a magical thing, so it's still sort of a magical creature. That had different effects as well, but didn't have a model on the board. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the evocations to begin with? So the evocations, um, since you finished with the equipment, I'll, I'll start with, with that first, okay. sort of talking about that. So the equipment is acts exactly how you think equipment would. It's a little bonus effect on top of you. What makes it a really kind of the evocation is that when somebody does damage into your space, uh, they also damage the equipment, which right. is how they can interact with you to remove all this cool, sweet equipment that you've summoned well, out. Well, and take, like, the helmet I had. Mm-hmm. The helmet said you can't target Bill, <laughs> but you can target the helmet. Yeah. And you have to kill the helmet before you can start going after Bill again. Mm-hmm. Uh, the shield basically says whenever you take damage, the shield will just take it for you mm-hmm. until it's dead. And then you summon it again later. Right. Yeah. So the equipment was was neat because um, it's the first time I've I've gotten to play with the equipment. Any of us. This yeah. was the first time it came out tonight. So it was uh, like one that I had was <laughs> was super fun and actually trident. all this trident. So it was oh. interesting. It was whenever I moved into a space with a another mage, they would take a point of damage, uh, and whenever a mage would move into my square, they would take a point of damage. So I was able to get all this free damage and stuff. It was super fun. Um, and really added on to what I was doing. But um, besides the equipment, there's also you have summoned creatures, which are really neat. Um, one thing that the class I was playing as, I was playing as the Necromancer. I didn't necessarily play it as the raise the dead, summon all the skeletons, yeah, um, which is the way that I've uh, had him played against me in the past. Um, but they are certainly interesting and certainly if people don't control them, they can really start racking up damage and points for people. So I, th- I think it's kind of cool that you're only ever going to be able... Uh, every player is limited to three summons, right? And that's all you'll have out. So three pieces of equipment. Uh, you know, the Necromancer, when John played the Necromancer, he had a couple of different zombies out. Uh, well, skeletons. Mm-hmm. And he had his big killer skeleton out, but... It wasn't like he was going to have more than three out there. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I I like the evocations. And I will say the models for the evocations, I think, is one of the things that draws people to the game. Because they're cool models. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, they're they're cool. I, I don't know. you got to admit they're cool models. <laughs> they're pretty darn sweet. So 
Um, I'm trying to think of what else. So, so highlights from our game. <laughs> oh boy, did I have some. <laughs> so I, I was having a fun build of so. In the past, uh, I've mentioned this a little bit, was I've always seen the Necromancer be played as I summon a whole bunch of minions, my minions go out and do my bidding, and I have some spells that interact with my minions. Um, But one of the other starting sets you can take is this, uh, like, I think it was called, like, a crippling set or something like that. The whole idea behind it is that all about the health conversion mechanic and also doing some like vampiric mechanics of I deal a little bit of damage to you, I heal myself. So very much combat spells. Um, so that was the route that I took. And then I also and then went, you combined it with combat spells. <laughs> then I combined it with even more combat spells. Um, so I uh, kind of started out with uh, the sort of death necromantic magic and then went into destruction magic. And who boy started racking up the whole bunch of damage. Yeah, you did. Um, so I had a lot of interesting little combos um, that Bill was on the receiving end of multiple times. Yes. <laughs> Benjamin's tagline this game was Bill, I'm sorry. You just happen to be the closest, <laughs> so eat four damage. Oh yeah, so it was it was great. So I had some spells that were really backbreaking that said, "Hey, if I hit you with this, you can't move at all. The only way that you can move in this turn is if Ugh. you die." Um, and let me tell you, I made sure Bill could move later in the turn. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I mean, it was wonderful. It's oh, absolutely so, wonderful. Oh, play of the game for me. So there's a spell in destruction that targets a square, and it says anybody in that square can't, can't move, move for any reason except for when they die. Um, so I was able to get both Josh, and I was supposed to be able to get Bill. And then the other two spells I had, or the other three spells I had in my hand, I had a super high damage fireball. I had the second card of the same super high damage fireball that hit a square and not a player. And then I had another one that hit everybody in that square. Did It was a necromantic spell, did two damage and converted two. So basically, whatever was in that square was going to die. You know, and we should mention that. So there is a little aspect of, of programming in this game. Mm. So everybody gets two tokens, which are your physical actions. So the, the physical actions let you walk and activate a room, or punch and activate a room. The key here is you can't walk and punch. Mm. And then you have a slot for what's called a quick spell, and you have three standard spells. And that's what you program. You have to program a standard spell every turn. And you have to cast one standard spell every turn. You can pass everything else, but you must cast. So... There's a couple things here where you can combine things, right? And effectively, you can do two things in a turn. The way it's easiest for me to think about it, you can do two things in a turn, and there's one restriction of what you can't do. You cannot cast two standard spells on the same turn. That's the restriction. That That's, if they're both, now, the second restriction on that is you have to cast your standard spells in order. Mm. So first one, then the second one, then the third one. Uh, but those are the restrictions. That seems to get people from time to time because people get very excited. Oh, so, yeah. for example, in Benjamin's case, if he wants to throw both of his damaging spells at the same time, he has to put one into his quick spell slot and then the other one into one of the standard spell slots. Otherwise, it, it doesn't go off. Mm-hmm. So 
you know that that kind of caught up a couple. I think it caught up all three of you at different times. Yeah, it, being excited really made me. Uh, oh, I get it. <laughs> forget that I get rule. It. <laughs> so, uh, but basically, you're going to do two things in a turn. When you walk, you're going to walk up to two spaces, so one or two. Uh, there's some kind of nifty line of sight. It's not bad. It's not hard. Everything in line of sight is in a straight line, and then there's ranges, and um, yeah, I mean. So, yeah, yeah, Benjamin, after we... Oh, and he also did it after we had destroyed the room. Uh-huh. So it isn't even like we could... Both of us had the same strategy of trying to destroy rooms, and he completely mitigated most of what we could do in a room that was already destroyed. Yep. It's, it's destroyed so they can't activate it. It's destroyed so they can't put their instability out on it. It was... Play the game for me. <laughs> no, it really was. It really was. Uh, I got off to a really strong early start. Uh, I got some of the highest value rooms over halfway made unstable right in the beginning. And then Josh came in over three turns and took literally reversed everything I had done and then got the points for all those rooms. Yep. I I just, that was ball breaking Mm. ball breaking. Now in the past I've played the, so I've played the illusionist more than anybody else. I wanted to play Medusa today and everybody was nice and allowed me to actually play with my new toys. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were already in, but Josh was looking awfully close. Oh, I was seeing it. <laughs> I was like, yeah, crap, I'm not playing Medusa. <laughs> uh, but I played, so I played Medusa today. She was fun. I think I want to play around a little bit with that build again. Um, the Illusionist, when I played the Illusionist fast, I played him a couple of times. And a couple of different builds. So the, the Illusionist plus Conspiracy is this really hyper-mobile, bounce-around-the-board, do-funky kinds of sideways damage to people, right? The Illusionist has, like, Illusionary Pain. Illusionary Pain is kind of a fun spell. It says, do some damage. If they don't heal that damage by the end of the turn, they keep it and do a little bit more damage. Mm-hmm. But if they heal it, reverse all of it. Mm-hmm. Right? So little <laughs> things like that. Um, and then the other build actually was interesting because it's a lot of traps and protections. So you, literally you put stuff up and then just sort of walk around. Uh, one of the things we talk about, so trap spells and protection spells. Traps and protections actually stay turn over turn. Every other spell clears at the end of a turn. Um, so protections are exactly what they sound like when this type of thing happens, stop it, right? This trigger, stop it. But what you do is you say, I'm activating this protection. It doesn't cast yet. I'm setting it up so it will cast automatically in the future. And then I just put a shield token on the card and it sits there. Traps, same type of thing. When this trigger happens in the majority of the time, it is When somebody walks into a red room or a green room or a blue room, flip the trap, do this to that person. Some of them are a little bit more creative. Like I had one tonight that said, if you have even one instability in a room and somebody walks in that room, teleport to them and punch them. (laughs) Right? Um, The other side of that card, have we talked about the fact that all the cards are two-sided? No, we have not. So we'll talk about that in a minute. The other side of that trap card was, instead of teleporting, every time somebody else makes a room unstable, convert two of their two of their instabilities to yours. Ooh. 
uh, which was kind of had, but I never really had a good chance to put that out. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't you talk about the fact that how the two sided cards work? So that's one of the, the things that I really like about the game. Really opens up options that you can do. And this goes to the programming. Yeah. So uh, if so, one of the interesting things is the cards. They can be held one of two ways. Um, and each of the different ways, they're both named the same spell. Um, both, in general, are it's a, a base similar... and reversed. I think is how they refer to it in the rules. Yeah. So they generally are kind of a similar. They're similar take on a spell, but done two different ways. Really, is is the way that I describe it, and really opens up what you can do. So, for example, I had one spell that says one side is I deal two damage to you, and then. Um, I try to convert uh, some of the health damage on you, and if I don't, or if I can't do it, you lose points. While the reverse lose side victory of that, points. lose victory points. While the reverse side of that is, I deal two damage to you. I try to convert, and if I uh, can't convert, then it's um, I believe I deal the damage instead. So it's a an interesting yeah, mechanic. Take damage, and then if I can't convert it, take extra damage. Yeah. So so they're like I said, they're. Uh, a similar kind of spell, but like a different twist or different take on it. And that's one of the areas people can get. That's one of the areas of complexity, but it's also an area of programming where when you set your card up at the beginning of the turn to cast, you're going to put one side up. And then you're going to flip the card horizontally to go from face down to face up. And it's a key to be able to flip it horizontally because whatever side you put is up is the effect that's going to go off. And you have to program that before the turn begins. So that makes a difference. Mm. Right? Um, like I had one that was, and, and these are one of those ones, like your, yours is a little bit different. One is more damage and one is not. Mm-hmm. Like I had one which was do damage and then do extra damage. And one side was do the extra damage for every quest the target has completed. The other side was do extra damage for request you have completed. So if I think I have a bunch of quests completed or I'm going to complete quests in this turn, I want to put that side up. And then I can go complete my quests and then because that side is up, but I can't switch it just because I ended up completing a bunch of quests. Yeah, so it's uh you really do have to kind of think ahead to get the most out of all the cards that you uh yeah. that you're that you're gonna play. So Um What else are we missing? What else are we missing? Um, have we talked about the the forbidden spells? Or the forgotten spells? No, let's... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so the center room of the lodge is the Black Rose room. The Black Rose is the keeper of the forbidden or forgotten spells. It's, it starts with an F. Yeah. Uh, basically, think of this as effing strong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, got, I got destroyed by one. <laughs> so, so what ends up happening... There is a... Every one of them is a single spell. Now, why does that matter? In the decks that are in the library for each of the other schools of magic, there's usually multiple copies. There are multiple copies of every spell. So you might get all the copies. You might get one. Somebody else goes on. The forgotten spells is one copy. They're all unique. On top of that, when you cast a forgotten spell, it casts and is removed from the game which is something that we did not do correctly until I think this game tonight. Yep, yep, (laughs) I think so. (laughs) For our first several games. Um, Every one of the Forgotten Spells is incredibly strong. 
So there's a damage spell out there. Uh, uh, so your normal damage spells are going to do three points of damage. Two, two, three, four is like a high amount yeah. of damage. Uh, one of the forgotten damage spells is like six or eight. Yeah. Like just straight <laughs> up. Um, some of the, uh, the one that I use. So I was the only one to get a forgotten spell tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, my forgotten spell had two sides. One side said, pick a room. Two other rooms that are adjacent to that room are just destroyed. Not if they're damaged or if they no, 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 they could be completely untouched. They're now just destroyed and you get the credit for them. Uh, the other side, which honestly, I should have probably done that one, but I thought I was going to get more play <laughs> out of the other one. The other side summons this big giant beast with a whole lot of health who doesn't attack. He just walks around. <laughs> Except every room he walks into, he does four points of damage to every creature that's in that room. Yeah, and and one of the important things is every single time he enters or right. enters a room with somebody in it, it takes damage. Well, the thing is, the creature, he has two <laughs> movement. So the funny thing you can do, which Bill did to me, is so... So I summoned him on top of Benjamin, because so Benjamin was picking on me. Yeah, yeah. So he entered the room by being summoned on top of me, so I took four damage. And then he moved one space out. And he then he damage, moved back he in. He did damage to Josh. Yeah, did damage to Josh. And then came back. <laughs> and came back. And, well, just to let you know, I have 11 health, max health in the game. That one spell did eight points yeah. of damage to me. <laughs> and then he still stood around and would have activated at the end of the turn. Oh, oh yeah, that was the other funny thing, yeah. was he activated immediately and then can still activate in the, uh, the phase where all the summons activate. And because he's got so much health, I mean, he's got six health. That's a lot of health to kill on a creature. Um, and you don't get a lot of points for killing. You, you really don't... You don't get any points You don't get benefits, killing. really, for killing creatures. Um, he would have just stuck around until somebody killed him. So now Josh immediately was like, "No, oh, oh. oh he was my hero." It's <laughs> like oh. so. Uh, so that's what the, those spells do. Now, how do you get a forgotten spell, Benjamin? So it is it is price pricey to get. So you have to go to the black uh, rose room, and then you activate the room. And what you have to do is you have to discard four. Four, four spells, spells right from your hand to get <laughs> one super powerful. And spell. you're going to draw three mm-hmm. and pick one, yes. and then put the other two at the bottom. So it's not like completely random. What you get, right. you get a little bit of choice in it. But let me tell you, some of those spells they are more than oh, worth gross. discarding the four spells. Yeah, you absolutely get... gross. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, not like crazy, crazy gross. Mm. Um, but it does change the game pretty drastically when. You play it correctly <laughs> and discard them. You know that they're a one-use spell. Uh, that made a big difference in what I looked at tonight. Oh, I couldn't imagine facing that summon again. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I did. Like, I dug through it. I'm like, I could take this, but I'm going to get one use out of it, and then I'm going to be done. I could take this, but... So, um, yeah. So that's the Forgotten Spells. They're very good. There's there's a bunch of them. I, mean, I want to say there's eight or nine to pick from in the base game. And then future expansions will, of course, bring more. Um, there's a lot of room for this game to be expanded. Mm, yeah. As we've seen from the Kickstarter and what's coming <laughs> in Wave 2. <laughs> yeah, uh, I Bill just showed me that tonight. And whew, there is a lot of 
uh, content that's going to be coming out for this new game. wizards, new summons, new schools of magic. Yeah, there's like a new new rooms, big super boss, like as well, right? That but, uh, actually, that dragon's <laughs> summonable. Oh, oh, that's dirty. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't know. I I forgot to look. I it might be a forbidden spell. Might not. <laughs> so, you know, someone just starts with <laughs> so, you know. the, the bone dragon. Why not? Well, I mean, but you look at some of them, like some of the new. Well, that's expansion. So, so the base game itself, right? So, if we take Medusa out, because Medusa definitely changed the play. What do you think? Like, you've played it a couple times now. Mm-hmm. Um, how does this rate over? Like. But you were asking tonight if you could buy it. Like, is this the type of game you would go out and buy? Is it the type of game that it's good that somebody else has it and you'll play it sometimes? Like, like where does it rate overall in your in Benjamin's world of gaming? In Benjamin's world of gaming. Um, so I I actually quite like it. Um, personally, I just really like the, the whole deck mechanic of it, of you can really tailor and, you know, play into a certain play style. I find it very fun. Um, so it's a game that um, I definitely would play. Uh, I, I wouldn't be remiss to play it, like, once a month or, or more than that. Okay. Um, it's something that I would play fairly frequently if it, uh, it gets suggested at the table. Yeah. It's, um, it takes a little bit of setup. Mm-hmm. It's not a ton of setup. It is certainly not my most setup intensive game. I would say it's it's not an easy setup game, but I mean It's no Joan of Arc though. Oh no. <laughs> I, I mean Joan of Arc literally takes more time to set up than to play. Um I mean how long did it take me to set up today? Um twenty minutes? Thirty minutes? I don't think it was thirty minutes. Uh no. I, Fifteen or twenty, maybe. Fifteen or twenty. So they're, they're and like, I've learned the boxes. I mean, the first time you go through, it's going to feel like a long time and a lot to set up. But once you know, like once I knew what I was looking for, it was pretty straightforward, right? I'm going to go to this box and get the fifth and sixth player wizards out for people to choose from. I'm going to hand like the the tactic I took tonight was put the put the rooms out on the table in a stack hand out the wizards so that everybody else can start picking their wizards, go back in, leave the summons. Like, there's a couple summons that stay in their own tray, which is most of them, and there's, like, two summons which sit in another tray. So pull those out, set them on the table, start pulling out the the magic, start pulling out the quest cards, pull out the Black Rose cards. Once I get to that, figure out if everybody's picked their wizard. Now, for me, I knew I wanted to get Medusa, so then I had to go back over and open an expansion box. But that was the expansion box. I knew where she was. Get everybody. Everybody has their wizard at that point. So now I know what schools of magic. Ask which ones we're going to vote out. Because Medusa, because Medusa came in, we had to vote another school of magic out. Um, so vote out a school of magic. In this case, only one. And then we set up the lodge. We set up the cards, and we're right in play. Mm-hmm. So 15, 15 minutes, maybe, 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, and uh, at least the, uh, I believe it comes with the box. It's, it's pretty organized with how everything it is, is. It is pretty well organized. It is not fantastic, but it is pretty well organized. Yeah, it, it at least lets you do pretty pretty quick setup compared to some games that I've seen with yeah. uh, similar sort of 
board complexity of setting up, I guess, is the way to, to, yeah, to state it. Yeah, I would it. agree with that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and then the, the I think the most complex part for me setting up is the board ends up getting set up slightly different based on the number of players. So I had to, like, the beginning is easy because you're literally, you you put down two rooms to begin with. You put out the Black Rose room and the Throne room. And what the Throne room does is it says, take the first player marker. They always go in the middle, side, you know, adjacent. And then you make a ring around the Black Rose or finish the ring of rooms because these are hex tiles. So you finish the ring of rooms around the Black Rose tile. But that next ring... Is where it starts to get a little complicated. And then based on a number of players, that next ring isn't a full ring around. So it's not like Catan, where you're actually just doing one big hex. Uh, This actually fits more into a square or a triangle. Yeah, it's more of a... For us, it was more of a square. Yeah, more of a square. More of a... I guess more of like an... Ovalish design as much as you can get an ovalish design out of uh, yeah, okay. out of hexes. I guess is the more yeah. way to describe it. And then, of course, you put you know there's specific areas for the um, for the study rooms, mm-hmm. starting so, rooms, yeah. starting rooms. Um, I really like this game. Now, I like the world. I had said that from the beginning. And not only do I like the world, but I also I, I like the theme. Overall, the game. I like the characters that are in the game. Uh, the wizards right now. Uh, Cassandra is is a woman, and she's the conspiracy person. Uh, the uh, Marco, the mage, is very Italian looking, but he has a mask and sort of a big floofy hat. Mm, jestery um, kind of feels. Jestery, yeah. Uh, the transmutation girl is a is a um, a fawn, basically a a satyr. So, and she's kind of. Badass looking, mm-hmm. kind of warrior woman. Uh, it's clearly a female, but like very goat legs and the whole bit, you know, woodsy. Um, Nero, who Josh played tonight, the the destruction mage, is like floating up above the ground <laughs> with flowing robes. Oh yeah, all hail my power. Um, <laughs> the uh, the necromancer girl who you played is literally. I don't know if you noticed, she's literally holding the skull of a skeleton that she's pulling out of the out of the earth, mm-hmm. out of the ground below her. Um, you have uh, the Medusa is kind of a badass Greek. Uh, like, she's a funky Medusa. Like, she definitely had the snake body. Mm-hmm. But then, I don't know if you saw, like, she's actually armored. And then the face, uh, the shield that she's carrying is a Medusa face. Mm, I didn't notice that. Yeah. Huh. So she's actually this, like, armored woman. And she has a uh, she has a staff with a snake head on, on one hand and a Medusa face shield. Like, with a traditional snake hair Medusa face shield as her shield. Huh. So... Um, you have the uh, conspiracy mage. She's interesting. She's this like um, sort of uh, courtesan sort of yeah, sort, sort of, of a, feel. Um, woman of the court, sort of. Yeah, and then uh, oh, the uh, the eastern divination. divination guy. Yeah, and he's a very Middle Eastern sort of uh, sultan looking. Yeah, sultan looking guy. And I think that's everybody, right? Yeah. At least in, in the, the stuff four, that you five, have right six. now. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. So I'm, I like the game. I will pull it out regularly. 
trying to think if I have any reservations to that. Like, is it a game I pull out all the time? It's not too often that it would be recommended that I wouldn't go, okay. I mean, it really comes down to, is there other games at the same level I'd want to play? Mm-hmm. So it definitely makes the mix pretty regularly. Um, I am... So let's talk expansions. So that was it. <laughs> so if you like Black Rose War, go look for it. It was a Kickstarter, yes, but you can still buy it online. I don't expect it to be in stores. It's probably going to be online. You got to go to Ludus Magnus, uh, Ludus Magnus Studios, if you want to look for it. Um, now expansions. So they've already shipped two expansions. I did not get one. I got the other one. I did not get the Inferno one. The Inferno one basically says, oh, hey, in the lodge, there's a door that no one opens. That door leads to something akin to Dante's seven layers of hell. Go ahead and fight the devil. (laughs) Oh, that sounds great. And so I didn't pick that one up. Uh, The one I did pick up is the other one. Now, this is actually where Medusa comes in. So... The other one is called the Kronos expansion. Now, Kronos is the titan of time. Kronos is immortal. And apparently the Black Rose has imprisoned Kronos in a sublayer basement of the Lodge. So when you play with... We haven't played with Kronos yet. When you do play with Kronos, you remove the Black Rose room. You remove... Uh, I don't know if you remove the throne room or if you keep the throne room, but basically you remove three other rooms and you replace them with a four room set that counts as one giant room. Kronos sits in the center of that and rotates every, and literally his model fills the entire hex. This is a 80 millimeter hex, right? Yeah. Yeah. 80. Maybe. See something like that. Um, he's the size of a Colossus, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen him. Wouldn't you think? Yeah, about size At of least his base. Uh-huh. So, like, if you're into War Machine and Horns and you know what the Colossus is or the... I forget what the the mechs are. But, yeah, if you, it's that size. It's that 80 millimeter base-ish size. So, he sits in the center. He rotates around and literally fires death rays in a straight line to the end of the uh, dungeon. And... You can't kill Kronos. Your goal is to crash the ceiling into the floor and destroy the rooms around Kronos. Make another makeshift prison and get the heck out of there. (laughs) So, and uh, Medusa is actually, she used to be one of the servants of Kronos. And so she came in the Kronos expansion. She used to be one of the servants of Kronos and she got imprisoned in there with him. And now she hates him. <laughs> she doesn't like the boss anymore. <laughs> so now what's kind of interesting here is Kronos is his own, like that is its own alternate scenario. So instead of playing the normal Black Rose scenario, it can be <laughs> the two, three, four, six of you got locked in the sub basement. <laughs> Sucks to be you. Deal with the Lord of Time. Uh-huh. <laughs> who's who's mad yeah. <laughs> and immortal. Um, and you know you can you can do that and play that through. The other thing you can do is you, there's actually a forbidden uh, or a forgotten spell to summon Kronos into a normal game. Because that's a good Cause, idea. Because <laughs> why not? <laughs> so yeah, and he has actually he can't die in the normal game, and he fills an entire hex. 
And then he basically turns and puts instability in the rooms around him. Mm. And then does like five damage every turn. Because he's Kronos. <laughs> to somebody. <laughs> yeah, he's this massive model. But yeah, so that's the Kronos expansion. Um, we played with Medusa. We haven't played with Kronos. Uh, there's also a deck that plays out on how Kronos is going to act. Uh, the game is different. So I think it's still the base mechanics, but it's different. So that's something we'll have to play in the future. Yeah. Now, Wave 2 is coming later this year. So for anybody that's listening to this far enough in the future, that the game has become popular and everything is out and a bunch of expansions, kudos to you. You can hear us talk about this before it came out. So we started looking tonight at some of the new schools of magic in the new wizards. There are 17 new mages coming. <laughs> 17 new mages. That That's silly. <laughs> like, that's crazy. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's already plenty of depth with what you can do and what you can build with... What, the six, seven yeah. mages that are out right seven. now? I can only imagine, like, just how much play you can get out of once you get... I think it get... was nine new schools of magic. Eight or nine new schools of magic. Yeah. So yeah. then you'll be able to swap out. And what will happen then is you'll go, everybody pick the mage they want out of the 23 choices we have. Or 24 choices we have. Okay, so which mages did everybody play? Okay, your school of magic goes in for your signature spell. And now pick two or three more to flesh out all the schools of magic. Mm. So I think that'll be kind of cool. Oh, yeah. So you won't have the same things all the time. And if you really want to, you know, screw around with Josh, be <laughs> like, no distraction. And no transmutation, and no myth, no destroying realm. Screw you. <laughs> <laughs> you have to fight each other. That's it. Uh, or find another way to score points. Or be the quest guy. Yeah. I don't know. I I want to look through conspiracy. So what do you want to do in the game? Is there anything? So things like strategy and stuff I'm looking forward to but, trying. And, and let me caveat this. I'm asking the question. It's an incredibly loaded question. Because at, at the end of... Both or th all three of the games. At the end of every game you've played, at the end of every game Josh has played, you guys, the two of you, always have the same conversation. Oh, I think I want to try this other build. Maybe if I combine these spells with these spells. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, the, that's the fun thing about the game is after, I'm, after you're done playing it, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you're like, oh, what if I do this and this and this? Well, the, the one thing that I want to do is... The character I've had the most fun with is the conspiracy mage. She has all this interesting mechanics of she in, uh, in she works with the lodge. She works with the lodge, kinda, kinda. You know, if if she can't win, nobody else can win. <laughs> it's better that the black rose win. Yeah, it's better that the black rose wins. Um, so she's she's really interesting compared to what I've seen a lot of other people do because she can interact heavily with the lodge she can also interact heavily with quests which is something that's not necessarily huh. we saw much of during most of the games that we played except for one that i at least that i did where today today's game i think between four of us there was only three quests completed yeah because i think four because I, I think josh did two and then lamont did one i did zero i and, did zero and you did zero yeah so, but the the one game that I played the conspiracy mage, I think I did like five or six or something, right. some ridiculous number. 
Um, but yeah, looking to, oh, she was just so much fun. Want to do here, but a different style where basically I go full blown quest mode and traps and, and all this crazy stuff with her mixed with illusion. And oh boy, it just sounds so fun to me. See, I really want to look into, and, and I know, I think Josh mentioned this tonight. I wasn't really listening. I want to look into the, the, uh, the Oracle deck, the, the, um, divination deck, the divination deck and figure out. Like, can you go heavy, like two thirds divination, one third something else, and just like rock out something off that divination deck? Yeah, because the uh, the divination deck is th- the big um, theme of the divination deck is deck manipulation, right. and that's that's one thing that it's trying to find a way. Well, it's to... deck and quests. So that's the part of the deck that I haven't seen. I haven't. Yeah. I don't think I've actually played with anybody who's played that as their starting character in school necessarily. So that's something that I never. Because and that was one of the differences with and I think it, I think it goes. My understanding is it it synergizes with conspiracy really well. Conspiracy plays heavily. So it's funny you played conspiracy, but you did movement. In quests, conspiracy actually plays really heavily, and you have some of the cards with the black rose cards, and then a little bit with the quests. Divination is supposed to be deck and quest cards. Divination is the deck that says, so again, cards being in each of the moon phases, right? Early, mid, and late game. And the divination deck is the one that says, go grab a, like early game, go grab a quest from mid game. And go ahead. So it lets you pull quests forward and back and actually pick up, sort of get more out of the quests and better victory points earlier in the game. Okay, okay. Yeah, I haven't seen that part of the deck. And then dig, dig through your, like, dig through the library. It's one of the big ones that lets you. So one of the mechanics in the game is again, I'm pulling four cards out of the library and return, you know, four spells and returning two to the discard piles. There's not a lot of ways to play with those discard piles. Divination has a couple of spells that are like take the top card of one of the discarded library decks, uh, take the top three cards and pick one out of one of the discard decks. So it's a good way to go in, and I say discard, that makes it sound bad, but it's actually, you can't hold on to all the cards you pull out of the library, so you're always discarding. That doesn't mean they're necessarily bad spells. They may just not fit your build, but suddenly you throw one out, and I can see it, and now I can go get it. So there's little things like that that are different. I don't know. I kind of want to. I want to see how that works. Yeah, I want to see it kind of turned up to somebody unlocked the full potential of it. I'm yeah. certainly interested in seeing. Turn it up to eleven and mm-hmm. just go. Oh yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that's Black Rose War. Yeah, I think we pretty we're, much we're covered fans. Yeah, yeah, definitely recommend if, if if any of you this sounds like your kind of jam. Definitely recommend you know trying it out. You're gonna sit down and play for a while. Yes. I, I mean that almost sounds good downer, but. Give yourself 15 to 20 minutes to set it up. Give yourself 90, 90 minutes to two hours, an hour and a half to two hours to play. Certainly gets faster the more... Uh, people know. Yeah, the more people know. Yeah, and the more you've played it. Yes. So don't get scared off your first game. The first game, <laughs> first game of any game is going to be longer, but this one, it seems very complicated and gets easier the more you play. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. So, Cool. I'm going to figure out what to play next and review next.
Oh, yeah. That's so, the real question. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Say bye, Benjamin. Have a good one, everyone. Bye-bye now. Well, there we go. That was episode 153 of the Gamers Lounge. Um, you know, talking about Black Rose War. Uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. If you like the game, you can check out Ludus Magnus Studios, L-U-D-U-S, uh, M-A-G-N-U-S, Ludus Magnus. Um, I'm a big fan of them. Check them out online. They have a couple of good games. They have a they have another campaign game uh, as well, Nova Atis, uh, which uh, I have quite a bit of and really enjoy. Then they have Sign Tempore, uh, which is their sci-fi version of Nova Atis, if you will. So uh, overall, very good. And you know, hey. Uh, if you like the games, check them out. Let them know the Gamers Lounge sent you. Uh, please spread the word. If you are currently listening to this episode, uh, great. I am very happy. If you know somebody who is uh, you know, out there and listening to... Um, sorry. Uh, somebody that's out there is listening to is listening to the podcast and the last episode they see is, uh, I think it's either Azul or Spring Fling. Uh, please ask them to update, uh, might even be Spartacus 150. Please ask them to update their, um, link, basically update, update their subscription. Uh, I had to make some changes to the address just in the way iTunes works. And you know, that was, uh, was a little bit of a pain. So uh, it had, doesn't seem to have propagated across everything yet. So just a reminder, uh, please help spread the word. Uh, with that, if you enjoyed the show, please leave a review uh, wherever you listen. Uh, we're currently on Spotify. Uh, Spotify? Uh, we're in three different places now. So you can always get the show directly from the Gamers Lounge website, gamerslounge.coda.net. Uh, we are also on iTunes, which we've always been on iTunes. Uh, we're now on Stitcher, and we're in the Google Play Music Store uh, under the podcast portal. So you should be able to find the show in all of those places. Uh, if you leave some reviews there and do some ratings, uh, that will help the show increase in listenership and get a little bit wider uh, exposure. So, and uh, hey, any exposure to these games is good exposure. So, thanks a lot for listening, and uh, well, we'll talk to you in two weeks. 